Plaza Direct King's Court starts now. 
I've won and lost against the best. This old road's been a hell of a test. I'm still driving. I ain't slowing down. There's rules I love to break and bend. Mistakes I've made again and again. But I tell you this, my friends, I'm still around. I hit it hard, man. So far, man. No laying up, no holding back. And a good Thursday morning, St. Louis and all parts north. East, south, and west, we welcome you in. This is the Window World, King's Court. Kevin Slayton with you on KevinSlaytonShow.com. So if you've come to the wrong place, stick around. You might learn something. You might be enthused about actually taking part in the American process and revitalizing it and bringing it back to what it once was. Maybe you won't. But either way, you'll get the unvarnished truth Supported by facts and evidence. You won't get that anywhere else, but you will get it here. You can also participate. 636-538-0746. 538-0746. So much is going on. It's hard to know where to begin. So we'll begin by telling you that if you can't listen live here Monday through Friday, You can listen to our podcast here on our website or Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google, Anchor, any place you listen to podcasts. What we saw yesterday in hearings should really make everyone sit back and say, why are we paying Congress a nickel? While the questioning was tough from Republicans of Merrick Garland, it also yielded no answers. While the questioning was tough against Christopher Ray, it also yielded no answers. These abject cowards who run our institutions continually refuse to answer a single question. Now, if I'm sitting on a jury and I have a defendant who refuses to answer any questions, not one who doesn't testify, but one who gets up on the stand and pleads the fifth, then I immediately think that person's guilty. And that's what these two do nonstop. Christopher Ray, Merrick Garland, pleading the fifth on every single occasion. And then when they're not pleading the fifth, when they actually sound like they want to talk, they lie. They lie through their teeth. They tell big whoppers. No such thing as a small lie to these people. These are gigantic lies almost all of which can be proven to be lies. Makes you wonder, why would you lie knowing there are facts and evidence to make certain everyone knows you're lying? The answer, they don't care. Now you say, well, why wouldn't they care? Can't they go to jail for lying under oath, perjury? Yes, they could, but they know they won't. They know they won't so much as get investigated or charged, much less tried and convicted. It's a double standard. We hear politicians talk about that all the time, but then they do nothing about it. In some of the questioning you'll hear, you'll say, okay, nice going, Ted Cruz. Nice going, Josh Hawley. 
But then there's an emptiness as far as a follow-up question, which is common sense. I'll give you the follow-up as we go through this. And the follow-up that I'm giving you doesn't mean I'm a genius. It simply means if you're out there watching, you're probably thinking the same thing. Come on, ask this, follow up with this. But they never do. Instead, like Mike Lee told Merrick Garland, I know you're a good person. What? This guy dispatched 20 to 30 army armed officers with Uzis, with AK, AK-47s, with AR-15s, to a pastor's home in the middle of the night in front of his children and his wife. Scared them to death. For what? Did he rob banks? Did he shoot people? Did he murder? No. He protested outside of an abortion clinic. And when he was harassed and attacked, and his child was, he pushed back. So Mike Lee dispensed with the, I know you're a good guy bullshit, because Merrick Garland is anything but a good guy. He's rotten to the core as a human being. He's a pathological liar. And in that mold, he fits perfectly with Biden's regime. Every one of them is a pathological liar. I've never seen anything like it. Usually you'll get a handful of these mopes who are liars. In this case, every one of them fits the same mold. Another mold they fit is rampant incompetence. But they're all liars. Every last one of them. And you'll hear it today. It won't do any good. You'll also hear from a former FBI agent, Nicole Parker, who after 9-11 decided she wanted to do something for the country, and so she joined the FBI. She became a rank-and-file street agent, investigating crime, bringing criminals to justice, putting them in jails. And after 13 years of what she thought was the job she was born for, she resigned and became a whistleblower against Christopher Ray's FBI. You're going to hear Christopher Ray this morning tell you that the FBI is completely unbiased. Nicole Parker will tell you a different story. Judge Janine Pirro will tell you a different story. Stunningly, a liberal by the name of Nina Turner, a former Democrat state, a state legislator, will attack people like Joy Behor. Wait, wait a minute, did I say that right? Is a liberal going to attack Joy Behor? Yes, you're going to hear it right here this morning. You'll also hear the litany of comments from Beetlejuice in Chicago, and it resulted in her dismantling of her political career when an incumbent in Chicago in the mayoral election gets elected every single time. It's a rubber stamp. Forty years it hasn't happened, but it happened two days ago. She got 17% of the vote. Three years ago, she got 70%. How do you do that bad of a job in just three years? She did. But, of course, it's not her fault. As a true liberal black lesbian, it's America's fault. You're all a bunch of racist homophobes. Now, those same racist homophobes just three years ago voted resoundingly in her favor. This time they didn't. Why? Because they became more severe racist homophobes? Is that what happened, Beetlejuice? Or is it because you're completely incompetent, inept, lie-filled racial diatribes 
piss them off. Not to mention everybody's dying on the streets of Chicago while you sit there in line and tell us crime has come down. Very reminiscent of Biden, while everyone pays more for groceries, pays more for gasoline, pays more for everything, Biden tells us, hey, the economy's working. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> it is stunning that they can stand there and lie like that when we all know that's not the truth. They're a special kind of stupid, aren't they? So you'll hear some of the greatest hits out of the Beetlejuice regime up in Chicago. If you're a Chicagoan, you won't like hearing it. You'll be reminded of the downtrodden city you once loved. But I'm hoping that Beetlejuice's dismissal resonates around the country. That in Washington, D.C., they get rid of Bowser. <laughs> they won't, though, because I think 98% of the people up there are liberals. So that'll never happen there. But maybe they'll get rid of her in a primary. That could happen. That's what happened in Beetlejuice. A, 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 a black lesbian who got 70% of the vote three years ago in the general election can't get 20% of the vote in a primary in Chicago. Not Texas, Chicago. Not Florida, Chicago. Wow, that's an ass-kicking of royal proportions. You're going to hear from homeless people on the streets in San Francisco and Portland, Oregon, and they're going to tell you why there's this outbreak of homeless people. Because it occurred to me that I don't recall seeing the streets littered with these people before, but they'll tell you why they're there. And then a former homeless crackhead will tell us what he learned and why he got out of it but why it won't stop. We'll also take a trip down memory lane when President Trump was inaugurated. You'll hear what he planned to do for the country, and then you'll hear his third State of the Union address recap exactly what he accomplished, in case you forgot. All of that's coming your way, and then in the second hour today, we're going to talk with St. Louis U High hockey coach Steve Walsh and one of his players, Tyler Woodcock, about the state championship game that will take place tomorrow night. St. Louis U High against DeSmet. The junior Billikens going for their second in a row under a coach who's only won. This is his second year. He won one. He's playing for a second. And a player who was a senior in high school, and we'll talk to him about his experience. That's later in the 8 o'clock hour. But first we want to remind you of our good friends at Window World. The phone number there is 314-993-1800. 314-993-1800. The preferred window of the St. Louis Blues. That's what you're getting if you call it Window World. That doesn't get much better, does it? Well, it actually does because Window World offers you something no one else does. A lifetime warranty that covers all parts, glass, breakage, and labor. I have Window World windows. A side benefit. Your utility bills will go down. As soon as I got mine, my utility bills went down. You know Why? Because the windows are double-strength glass. That's why they can give you that lifetime warranty. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? I've stood on those windows, jumped on them on the showroom floor. I couldn't crack them, dent them, damage them in any way. You can get a free in-home estimate from Window World simply by making that call, and they'll come to your house and prove to you how they're simply the best for less. They can also help you with siding and entry doors, 
And they offer 18 months, same as cash financing, with approved credit. They have a strong commitment to customer service. I can testify to that. A lot of companies say they do, but they don't. Check the Better Business Bureau regarding Window World if you don't believe me. Remember, that free in-home estimate awaits you, 314-993-1800. That's Window World. And that's where you go. I saw Jesus' revolution yesterday, and I can only tell you, I'm a Christian, of course, but I can only tell you that even if you're not, it would behoove you to go see it. Because plenty of people that were involved in this movie, because it's a real-life, true story, weren't Christians either, but they became. And they became baptized in the Pacific Ocean under the leadership of this pastor. And it all happened because he was willing to have an open mind and listen to people who had different viewpoints than he did. Not different viewpoints about what the Bible says, just different viewpoints about life. They all shared one thing in common, the Bible. It's a true story, as I said. It took place in the late 60s, early 70s. The pastor has passed away. The hippie that he paid attention to has also passed away. But the young man who was the focus of the movie as well, who had been involved in drugs and all kinds of bad behavior, and who came to this church, and his entire life changed, Thanks to a a young girl in high school who introduced him to this church, they married. They've been married for over 50 years. He's now the pastor as he took over for Pastor Smith. And the amount of people, the millions of people that have come to that revolution was stunning back then. I feel like it's happening again. I know the timing of this movie and the book that was written by the pastor, who's, not, as I said, now the pastor. I believe the timing was sent from heaven. I really do. It's a God wink. So if you get a chance, I think you'll enjoy it. Take the family. You won't have to hide the kids. You won't have to hide your wife's ears. Something we haven't seen in the movie theaters in a long time. Good, wholesome entertainment. Well, I wouldn't describe it as good or wholesome. Well, good, I guess, but not wholesome yesterday at the hearings involving Merrick Garland. A guy who wouldn't answer a question if you told him his mother's life depended on it. Ted Cruz asked him a simple question. Has he prosecuted anyone under the statute that protects the Supreme Court justices? Has the Department of Justice brought even a single case under the statute? So yes, no question. It's not a give a speech on the other things you did. The job of the United States Marshals is to defend the lives. So of the, the answer ju- is no. Is to defend the lives of the justices, and that's their number one priority. They have. Why full- are you unwilling to say no? The answer is no. You know it's no. I know it's no. Everyone in this in this hearing room knows it's no. You're not willing to answer a question. Have you brought a case under this statute? Yes or no? As far as I know, we haven't. And what we have done is defended the lives of the justices with so how do seventy you decide, U.S. Marshals. How do you decide which criminal statutes the the DOJ enforces and which one it doesn't? The United States Marshals. 
marshals know that they have full okay, authority. You know, I recognize you want to give a separate speech. No, I don't want to. How give do a... you decide which statutes you enforce and which ones you don't? But marshals on scene make that determination in light of the priority of defense. The marshals do not make a determination over whether to prosecute you. The attorney general make a determination, and you spent 20 years as a judge, and you're perfectly content with justices being afraid for their children's lives, and you did nothing to prosecute. Nothing. He did nothing. Nothing to prosecute whatsoever. Not one case has he brought out of the thousands of people that threatened those Supreme Court justices after the Dobbs decision. Not one. Not one. So he doesn't believe in protecting the justices, despite the fact that he said he did. As Ted Cruz pointed out, you were 20 years a judge. You were Biden's nominee for the Supreme Court, you were rejected, but you'd gotten that far in your judicial career, and you're okay with justices who happen to disagree with you, you're okay with their lives being threatened. doesn't phase you, because you're nothing but a play toy for an inept, dementia-riddled nitwit named Joe Biden. That's all Merrick Garland is. Whatever he was in his previous judicial career, and I don't know, But let's just say he was very successful. I don't know if he was. He's destroyed and ruined his good name, if he had one, completely. He's a play toy. That's all he is. A yes man who doesn't give a damn about the safety of Supreme Court justices. Wow. This is America 2023. It was also Merrick Garland who sent that armed regiment to the home of Pastor Houck because he had protested in front of a, an abortion clinic. And when one of the employees there came out and mentioned some things to his son, he pushed back. Now, keep this in mind. The local prosecutor outside of Philadelphia, which is where this took place, an abject liberal, probably an uber liberal, Refused to press charges. A civil suit against the pastor was dismissed. And yet Merrick Garland sent his hoods, his thugs, his Gestapo to the pastor's house in the middle of the night to conduct a raid like the raid in Entebbe. Big long guns pulled, bright lights shining through the windows, scaring the bejesus out of the pastor's wife and children. Josh Hawley wanted to know about that. Here's the seven children with Mr. Houck and his wife. In this early morning, they were all at home. Mrs. Houck has said repeatedly the children were screaming. They feared for their lives. you got these agents demanding that he come out. They've got the guns, she said, pointing at the house and at them. Do you think that it was objectively reasonable and they followed your guidelines in sending 20 to 30 armed agents to terrorize these people? Yes or no? The facts I have, which are those presented by the FBI, are not consistent with your description. So you think it was reasonable? Of course he does. How about that lie? So what he's saying to Hawley is that woman, that pastor's wife, is a liar. That's what he said. The facts that I've received from the field agents are not consistent with your description. Hawley's description was from the wife. 
So Merrick Garland is claiming that the rank-and-file FBI agents who went out and raided this house, and I've said all along, folks, please don't be misled. The rank-and-file of the FBI are just as rotten as the head of the snake. So either they came back and lied to Garland, or Garland is lying about what they said. If I'm one of those agents and he's lying about what I said, I resign and I become a whistleblower, like Nicole Parker did and about 13 others, heroic figures from the FBI. You want to write a book about FBI heroes, write it about these whistleblowers. So either Garland's lying or Mrs. Hawk is lying, the pastor's wife. Who do you think's lying? Or I guess the third option is the FBI agents were lying to Garland. I don't believe for one second that Mrs. Hawk is lying because she has nothing to gain by lying. If you want to know who's lying in a particular dispute, always look to the person who has the most to gain by the lie. Mrs. Hawk has nothing to gain. But Merrick Garland has everything to gain. He's covering his ass. The FBI agents have everything to gain. They're covering their asses. They know that what they did was nothing more than a 1940s Gestapo-like raid in Nazi Germany on the Jews. That's all it was. This time it was the Catholics. Or in this case, a Christian. He's not. A, I don't think he's Catholic. We'll get to the Catholics in a moment, though. Hawley noted the irony of the Department of Justice under Merrick Garland using the kinds of guns that Merrick Garland wants to take away from you. You use an unbelievable show of force with guns that I just note liberals usually decry. We're supposed to hate long long guns and assault-style weapons. You're happy to deploy them against Catholics and innocent children. Anything untrue about that? Sounds pretty true to me. That's exactly what he did. And by the way, when he mentioned targeting Catholics with the long guns and the heavy artillery, there was a memo out of the Richmond FBI office, Richmond, Virginia, that was going to plant FBI agents in the church pews at Catholic Mass when there was a Latin Mass going on. What? They advocated for, and I quote, the exploration of new avenues for tripwire and source development against traditionalist Catholics. It's their, their language including those who favor the Latin Mass. Attorney General, are you cultivating sources and spies in Latin Mass parishes? How did it happen? That's what they're looking into. But I'm totally in agreement with you. That document is appalling. That document is from your people. Your people. If it's so appalling, why haven't they been fired? You know who wrote it. You know who did it. Why haven't they all been fired? Because, as you'll hear from Judge Janine later on, nobody at the FBI gets fired. It doesn't matter how egregious the conduct is. It doesn't matter how unconstitutional it is. It doesn't matter how reminiscent of the thugs of the Gestapo is. It doesn't matter. FBI agents never get fired. They're safer in their job security than Supreme Court justices, who have lifetime appointments, I might add. Hawley also pressed him because Hawley read a report that claimed the FBI agents on the scene at Mar-a-Lago 
told the Department of Justice that there was no reason to raid President Trump's residence. None. And that they didn't want to do it. That didn't sit well with Hawley either. That's exactly what the reports are this morning. I read these to the Attorney General. All of, all of a sudden, these FBI agents are saying, hold on, hold on. We didn't want to do this. We advised the Attorney General. We advised Justice Department, don't do this. In fact, the FBI says they wanted to drop the whole case. They thought there wasn't a case there. But Maine DOJ and the Attorney General, they said, nope, go ahead. Go for it. In fact, they ordered the FBI to do it. That tells you all you need to know. White House is using the Justice Department to go after its political enemies and any American who disagrees with them. It's 100% true. Go after Pastor Houck. He disagrees with them on abortion. Go after President Trump. He disagrees with them politically. Go after you if you disagree with them politically. The FBI wanted to drop the entire case. They had already been in communication. They had already paid a visit to Mar-a-Lago. They had already said the only issue is we want you to put a padlock on the door that houses the unclassified documents that you've declassified. That's all. Wuhan Willie Otalabiden ordered the raid. Mike Lee gave Garland a stern warning, but then at the end... He backtracked. The politicization of the department is a problem. And you can tell your department, not a chance in hell we're going to be reauthorizing that thing without some major, major reforms. Your department is not trusted because it has been politicized. I know you are a good person. You have the ability to rein it in. I ask that you do so promptly. A good person? <laughs> Let's go through these. Ted Cruz... When you asked about how many prosecutions under that statute, and he said, we haven't done any. The follow-up should have been, why haven't you done any? There has to be a reason why these people were allowed to walk the streets against the law and not be prosecuted. Why didn't you prosecute them? But that question was never asked. Never asked. Doesn't that seem logical to you to ask that question? It does to me. I mean, it's simple stuff. Hawley asked if they were targeting Catholics. When he said no, he, he, he then should have said, well, you claim you're investigating this memo. Who's been investigated? Why aren't they in jail? What kind of an investigation are you carrying on? Simple follow-up. Hawley noted the irony of the long guns being used, the guns that liberals hate and want to take from you. It was a golden opportunity to then follow that up with, are you okay with only law enforcement, an agency, the FBI, that no one trusts? Are you okay with them using these types of guns but not American citizens, law-abiding American citizens? Is that okay with you? But he didn't ask it. Regarding the Hawk family raid, the simple thing, as I pointed out earlier, Who's lying here, Attorney General? Is it you? Is it the FBI agents or is it Mrs. Hauck? Because you just said she's lying. So I want to clarify that. Is it the FBI agents who gave you a bogus report? Are they lying? Did you get an accurate report and you're lying? Or is Mrs. Hauck the liar, the pastor's wife? Who is it? And as far as who ordered the raid on the FBI, excuse me, on Mar-a-Lago that the FBI didn't want to do, 
Why didn't you ask him directly? If the FBI didn't want to do it, why did you order them to do it? And if you claim you didn't order them to do it, who did? Someone did. Someone above them. The only other person above them is you or Wuhan Willie. But that question was never asked. See, in my lifetime, these are simple questions. I enjoy doing interviews because the simple questions are the best. You follow up. You hold people to the fire. Good people respect that, by the way. Bill DeWitt III is a good example of that. The Cardinals president, when he comes on our show, he gets his feet held to the fire. And he he's okay with it. I think he's tired of all the ass-kissing in this town myself. He respects a good back and forth. So, Josh Hawley, did you learn anything from Garland's testimony at all? Only that Merrick Garland knows nothing, as it turns out. Here's actually, in all seriousness, what I did learn. That this administration will watch people being executed on our streets, gang style. They will watch fentanyl destroy communities all across this country and do nothing. But... If you're a pro-life demonstrator, boy, they'll come to your house armed to the teeth. If you go to church, they will send your church to spy on you. That's an actual thing that the FBI has recommended doing. That's the priorities of this Justice Department. Oh, and of course, if you're a parent and you show up to a school board meeting, yeah, they'll label you a domestic terrorist. That's what we know is going on. And knowing all of that that's going on under Merrick Garland's rule, Mike Lee says, I know you're a good guy. How do you know he's a good guy? What has Merrick Garland displayed to any rational thinking person that says, now that's a good guy? Calling parents at school board meetings domestic terrorists? Is that a good guy? Overseeing a department that planted agents in Catholic churches to spy on Catholics attending Mass? Is that a good guy? Raiding the house home residence after a local prosecutor refused to press charges after a civil suit was declared goodbye. And you didn't just call him and say, hey, turn yourself in. We're still going to prosecute you because he offered to do that. You raided his home in the dark of night with an artillery that looked like it should be going against Taiwan. So is that being a good guy, Mike Lee? He refuses to protect the lives of Supreme Court justices, maybe because he didn't get his chance to be one. Maybe he feels that he's deserving, and they're not. And so maybe if somebody kills him, I'll get in. Because he didn't protect them at all. The law was clear on it. Is that being a good guy? I'm searching here, Mike Lee. Help me out. What is it that compelled you to describe him as a good guy? He's a rotten rat. That's what he is. He's a liar. He's a criminal. He's a weasel thug. Weasels can be thugs. They don't carry out the thug acts. They order them. Hitler was a weasel. Himmler was a weasel. But they ordered the thugs to take over and carry out their brutality. That's what Merrick Garland does. And that's what he is. He sickens me. And they had their chance, and then Mike Lee said he's a good guy. People watching that yesterday probably thought, you know, this is the same bull crap that they put on Biden. You know, Uncle Joe, he's a harmless, nice old guy. He's just stupid. No, he's evil, he's vile, he's rotten. He's a bigot, 
He hates the blacks and then calls you a racist. You don't get any lower on the son of a bitch scale than Biden is, unless maybe you're Garland. But Mike Lee said, you're a good guy. What a stupid comment. You're a good guy, and I have every confidence that you can rein this in, so please do so promptly. Oh, okay. Merrick Garland's going to run back to his office and say, hey, I'm a good guy, fellas. Let's knock off the rating of the pastor's home. Stop persecuting Donald Trump. Don't go after the Catholics anymore. Let's stop all that, because I'm a good guy. Mike Lee said so. What a joke. Who controls this guy, Josh Hawley? Who controls Merrick Garland? I think the real thing here is is that the White House calls the shots. Why is it that the Justice Department ordered a raid of Mar-a-Lago? You know, they, they couldn't... They wouldn't slap so much as slap Joe Biden on the wrist when he's got all these classified documents. But we learned today from reporting that Merrick Garland actually overruled field agents who said, no, 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 we shouldn't raid Trump's home. No way. He overruled them to do it. Why is that? Because the White House wanted it. Why is he going after pro-life demonstrators? Because the White House wants it. Why is he letting Justice Kavanaugh, Justice Barrett twist in the wind with all these protesters outside of their house? Because the White House wants it. I think he's just a tool of the White House. and They have weaponized this Justice Department like nothing we have ever seen in American history. No question. And what are you going to do about it? What can Josh Hawley do about it? What can these senators do about it? Well, they can refer Garland for a criminal investigation, but who would they refer him to? Himself. His department. (laughs) I pray to God that we get a Republican president, whether it's Trump, whether it's DeSantis, whether it's Vivek Ramaswamy, I don't care. Let's get one. And when we do, and this is why I want Trump, because I know he'll go scorched earth on these people, and they deserve to be scorched earth, because if they do, if you don't, it'll continue. It'll never end. An example needs to be set. This isn't going to continue, and you're going to jail, and you're going to jail, and you're going to jail. And until that day comes, this behavior will never change. Don't hope, don't sit around and go, Gee, I sure hope that Merrick Garland somehow sees the light because he's a good guy after all. That isn't going to happen. The only thing that's going to happen is it'll change when the Republicans demand it changes by their own actions. In other words, hiring an attorney general, appointing and confirming him, who's a badass, MFer. Jerry Spence would be the ideal guy. He's a lawyer out in Wyoming criminal defense lawyer, probably the greatest trial lawyer I've ever seen work. He's too old, though. So I'd go to Jerry Jerry Spence, and I'd say, Jerry, who should we put in there? Who do you know that fits that bill? We need a bulldog, a real bulldog, not a phony one like Trey Gowdy. But until that happens, this will not end. We've got Christopher Ray telling Brett Baer and then testifying yesterday that the FBI is unbiased. Now, this is one of the most laughable claims you'll ever hear. You know, I hear these claims of politicization, but I can tell you that the FBI is and is going to stay independent. And that means following the facts wherever they lead, no matter who likes it. (laughs) Did you need a belly laugh to start your day? There, I provided it. 
We follow only the facts, no matter who doesn't like it. Do you? You've had Hunter Biden's laptop for three years. Are you following those facts? Because those facts are all over the place. Ask Miranda Devine if you're having trouble figuring it out, Christopher Ray. She's written a book on it. In the time you've had the laptop over three years now, she's written a book on the contents of the laptop and the criminal behavior of Hunter Biden and the indictment of his father and his uncle as partners in these crimes. And you haven't done squat. But you pursue it based on the facts, no matter who likes it. Sure you do. You conducted a raid on President Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence. Whether you were overruled or not, you conducted it. You should have stood up to Garland and said, we're not doing it, fire me. But you don't have the courage. You don't have the spine because your job's too cushy. You get to fly your private jet, government-funded, taxpayer-funded, on private vacations. And then you claim it's because of your schedule. You're a liar. It's, it's unconscionable. And Merrick Garland says he's not going to interfere with the Hunter Biden investigation. Really? Three years in possession of the laptop, not one indictment has been rendered, not one charge has been made, and they claim they're pursuing Hunter Biden as if they would pursue Don Trump Jr. if he had this laptop. Same thing. Same treatment. Does anyone believe that? Even a diehard liberal jackass? Do you even believe it? If you do, you're a bigger jackass than I could have thought. You've redefined jackass. Ray was asked why he kept secret the ongoing investigations into Biden just prior to the election. Well, again, I can't talk about specific investigations that are ongoing, both of which are being led by special counsel, other than to say it is not our normal practice to discuss publicly specific investigations. (laughs) So I don't say anything. We don't discuss anything. He's an effing liar. He had a political agenda, and that was to get Donald Trump, even though Donald Trump's the one who appointed him. That'll teach you, President Trump. Bear asked him if the FBI, according to reports, had informants in the crowd at the Capitol on January 6th. Once again, you can guess. Well, as I'm sure you can appreciate, Brett, I can't really appropriately talk about when, where, and how we use confidential informants. We're not asking you how you're using them now. We're asking you about something that occurred in the past. Certainly, that's not a compromise of anything. You don't have to identify the people. Nobody's asking you to blow their cover. We're asking you, did you do it? And your responsibility is to the American people. And your responsibility is to answer the question honestly. Not dodge it, not ignore it, not make up some lie about Did you do it? The answer, of course, is yes. Without question. He also claims the FBI knew all along that the Wuhan virus came right out of the Wuhan lab. Uh, The FBI has for quite some time now assessed that the origins of the pandemic are most likely a potential lab incident in Wuhan. Let me step back for a second. You know, the FBI has 
folks, agents, professionals, analysts, virologists, microbiologists, etc., who focus specifically on the dangers of biological threats, which include things like novel viruses like COVID, uh, and the concerns that they're in the wrong hands, some bad guys, a hostile nation state, a terrorist, a criminal, uh, the threats that those could pose. So here you're talking about a potential leak from a Chinese government-controlled lab that killed millions of Americans, and that's precisely what that capability uh, was designed for. And yet you didn't say a word about it. You didn't let anybody know that this came out of a Chinese lab. That was your conclusion. Long ago, you said. This guy needs to be charged, arrested right there in the office of the FBI, prosecuted and jailed. He is an ongoing danger to the security of the people of the United States. And he targets you if you disagree with him. Doesn't matter how powerful you are or how lowly you are. He, he runs the entire gamut from former president to a church pastor and everybody in between, which includes all of us. Then he claims China has been blocking the investigation. Why didn't he make that public until now? I will just make the observation that the Chinese government, seems to me, has been doing its best to try to thwart and obfuscate uh, the work here, the work that we're doing, the work that our U.S. government and, and close foreign partners are doing, um, and that's unfortunate for everybody. That's unfortunate for everybody, all right. But yet you didn't tell anybody about that. If that's what's going on, why aren't you letting us all know? I don't understand that at all. Not a bit. In the hearings, General H.R. McMasters was there also. He was asked who the greater threat is, China or Russia. Listen to this exchange. General, do you think that China poses a greater threat uh, to our freedom and the world's freedom than the Soviet Union ever did? Congressman, yes, yes, I do. So there's a military guy at the rank of general who says China is the greater threat. And yet all we hear about is Russia, Russia, Russia from the liberals and the media and the, and the Democrats. And yet Christopher Wray, the FBI director, is sitting there telling us that he knew all along that the Chinese released this virus. He's also known all along that the Chinese have blocked any investigation. And the regime of Joe Biden ignores all of that and tells us Russia's the bad boy. The boogeyman is Russia. When everybody else in government apparently thinks it's China. And rightly so, I might add. But why don't we hear that out of the regime? Because they're bought and paid for. That's why. When the entire regime is under the control of China, never a discouraging word. But Nicole Parker has some discouraging words. She's a former FBI agent who, as I described earlier in the show, was motivated after the events of 9-11 to herself join the FBI and in her words, try to make a difference. And so she did. She joined the FBI. She fought crime. And after 13 years before she was eligible for retirement, she resigned. Why? 
one thing after another, after another, after another. You know, Christopher Ray says that the FBI is fair, that they follow the evidence. If that was the case, I would have left the FBI, and the employees that are extremely frustrated probably wouldn't be frustrated either. You feel like you don't have a voice, that you're so low on the totem pole. How are they even going to know my concerns as a rank-and-file agent? I was working violent crime. I worked shoulder-to-shoulder with incredible heroes. You know, the, the individuals on my violent crime squad, we were out there saving individuals and putting bad people behind bars. And that is why I came to the FBI. But I was getting drowned out by this constant noise. Constant noise, which is, of course, the FBI lying, manipulating, doing political agenda work for a regime. And when she would protest it and others would protest it, fell on deaf ears. Fell on deaf ears. When did all this start, Nicole? It started in 2016 with, you know, Jim Comey coming out on July 5th of 2016 and making a statement that seemed, in my opinion, to be somewhat of a prosecutorial decision when in in reality, the FBI is supposed to present evidence to the to the Department of Justice, and they're supposed to make the prosecutorial decision. Then there was Operation Crossfire Hurricane, and then it just kept coming and coming and coming. And then you've discussed all the disparities between how investigations were conducted at the FBI. I wasn't involved in any of those. The fine men and women of the FBI doing the heavy lifting were not involved in those either. Yeah, just the criminal element of the FBI was, and it's a big one. She said it sounded like a prosecutorial decision on the part of Comey. but And it, let me correct her. It didn't sound like it. It was. He was making a decision as if he were the attorney general. Remember his words. No reasonable prosecutor would take Hillary Clinton's email case. How does he know? First of all, as soon as he said that, dozens of reasonable prosecutors around the country said they would take that case in a heartbeat. It's an easy one. So Nicole Parker's right when she says Comey made it a political decision by saying claiming he was a prosecutor, which he's not. The FBI is supposed to gather evidence and present it to the prosecutors. That's how it works. Then it's the prosecutors who make the decision, not the FBI. The head of the FBI doesn't get to pass judgment on what he or she thinks reasonable prosecutors would do. He's not a prosecutor. Think about that. That would be like saying that a fan in the stands gets to decide who bats third in the Cardinal lineup. Well, you don't. It's not your place. You can speculate about it. You can wonder about it. You can root for something. But it's not your place. You're not the manager. Comey's not the prosecutor. Carpe diem to people like Nicole Parker, a whistleblower who isn't afraid of Christopher Ray at all. That's courage. That's courage. Does anybody, by the way, get fired at the FBI? How about Judge Jeanine Pirro? Can you explain? And even though they lied and they manufactured evidence for that FISA warrant so that they could uh, spy on Donald Trump, they put their thumb on the scale. But not only did they, they lie to a court. As a judge, you lie to me. You're going to jail. All right. They didn't clean house. 
Strzok, McCabe, uh, uh, Page, all of them. There is no one who ever gets fired in the FBI. You can even lie to them, which everybody knows is an automatic dismissal, and they'll keep you. It's unbelievable. She's 100% right. I forgot about the FISA warrant. I didn't see the entire interview that Brett Baird did with uh, Christopher Ray, but I'm guessing he didn't ask about it because I didn't see any clips on it. That would have been the number one question to ask, wouldn't it? Your FBI lied, knowingly lied to a court, to a judge, in order to gain the access to spy on a president, on a presidential candidate. Why weren't they fired? Well, he'll say, well, Comey was in charge then. Doesn't matter. You knew after the fact. Why wasn't everybody there fired? Why wasn't anybody there charged so that the Department of Justice could prosecute them? Why are they still getting their pension even though they've gone on to lucrative careers on television? Why, why are they getting a pension? They lied to a court. And you reward them? Big Mouth Bass Joy Bahor, remember, blamed the citizens of East Palestine, Ohio, for the train wreck and the oil or the toxic spill last week because they voted for Donald Trump. Remember this? By the way, he placed someone with deep ties to the chemical industry in charge of the EPA's chemical safety office. That's who you voted for in that district. Donald Trump, who reduces all safety. He yes. did. Even that liberal audience, you could hear them rest. They were restless with that comment. It was so out of line. It led a black female who was once a Ohio Democrat state senator to respond. Again, just one more point. Yeah. For the neoliberals who say that the residents of that area deserve what they, they are getting because they voted for President Donald J. Trump, it is abhorrent. Mm. This is about poverty. This is about poor working class white people who are enduring some of the same things that poor working class black people endure, whether it's Flint, Cleveland, or Jackson, Mississippi. And so I want to lay it out that the cultist behavior in politics right now, it is a sin and a shame that when people are suffering to this magnitude, you got people who will fix their mouths, to quote my grandmother, to say that they are getting what they deserve. What they deserve is clean air, clean food, clean water. They deserve relief, both in the short term and also in the long term. Carp. DM to a Democrat, Nina Turner. I don't care whatever else she says. She was spot on on that. And that big mouth bass behore, that's who she was referring to. How dare you? The victim blaming from Democrats is legendary, and it's gotten worse. You'll be able to hear it from Beetlejuice here. Remember she was asked about a year or so ago, because the Chicago Tribune was writing story after story about people on her staff were complaining how evil she was to them. She ruled them like a tyrant. In addition, of course, all her failed policies. So she was asked about all this. And, of course, a liberal white guy in the Chicago media was asking her about it. And he gave her an easy opening, and she took it. Mayor, in recent months, uh, there have been questions raised about your your temperament and uh, your reaction to criticism. Uh, Tribune editorial used the term irascible. Um, how much of this do you think might have to do with the fact that you're a woman, and partic- specifically a black woman? About 99% of it. Of course. 
he, he didn't mention she was also a lesbian. My God, he left out the big one. So Beetlejuice treats her staff like dogs. Her policies are failed, resulting in the murders of everyone in Chicago. And the reason people don't like her is because she's black and a woman. Need I remind her that 70% of the people, those very same people who hate her because she's a black woman, elected her. (laughs) She seems to forget that number. But they elected her. Hopefully, they thought, here's a black lesbian. She won't be a racist. But she turned out to be a complete racist. Here she is describing the press corps in Chicago that covers the mayor's office, and she doesn't uh, like their color. When I look out at, um, across this podium, as I'm doing now, I don't see much in the way of diversity. The fact that the City Hall Press Corps is overwhelmingly white, has very little in the way of diversity, is an embarrassment. The embarrassment is a mayor who is such a racist and has race on her mind so strongly that she comments on the makeup of a press corps covering her. Is that incredible? You bigot, you abject, white-hating wench. And if that wasn't bad enough, with crime running rampant through the streets of downtown Chicago and stores being blitzed and robbed at gunpoint, who does she blame? The criminals? No. She blames the store owners, the citizens of Chicago. Some of the retailers downtown in Michigan Avenue, I will tell you, I'm disappointed that they're not doing more to take safety uh, and make it a priority. For example, we still have retailers that won't institute uh, plans like having security officers in their stores, making sure um, that they've got cameras that are actually operational, um, uh, locking up uh, their merchandise at night, chaining high-end bags. These purses seem to be something um, that is attracting a lot of attention on these organized retail effectiveness. Wow, so now we know whose fault it is. (laughs) We know. It isn't the criminal thugs. Because she says over the past three years, robberies, burglaries, and thefts hit record lows in Chicago. Each of these crime categories saw decreases not seen for the last 50 years. That's what she said. So it's you, store owners. Unfortunately, none of that's true because it's easy to check. Robberies in Chicago up 27% since she took office. Theft up 40%. Murder 59%. Auto thefts, carjackings up 270%. If you combine them all, overall crime in Chicago under her reign up 33%. Not down like she claimed it was. Not record low for the last 50 years. But record highs. How does she think she can get away with that? Because those very same media people that she decried as white people covering her are kissing her ass and not reporting the truth. Some are, but not nearly enough. Not nearly enough. So she says crime... Is not out of control. Crime is not out of control in our city. In fact, crime is on the decline. All of our major indices showed a decline in, in um, crime, and our homicides and our shootings year over year are down. That's a fact, sir. Well, I just gave you the facts, ma'am, and yours are not facts. They're made up lies by you. 
Overall crime up up 33%. Every category of crime up a minimum of 27%. That's a fact, ma'am or sir, whichever it is you are. I tend to believe she's the sir in the in the gig, but I don't know that. And then if you recall, when she took down the statues of Christopher Columbus, two different statues, the Italians in Chicago were furious. Her famous claim described by a reporter that she has a bigger mm, than the Italians. The mayor said she had a bigger male body part than the Park District lawyers on the call and Italians, and that she claimed to have the biggest male body part in the city. Now, she may have, because as I said, I think she's the guy in the little relationship she has going on there. So when she claims she has the biggest swinging you-know-what, bigger than the Italians, I don't think you say that to the Italians and get away with it, bigger than anybody in Chicago. That's your mayor saying that. What a class act. She's such a class act. What a pathetic excuse for a human being. And don't you remember when she decided, she decided that she would enforce lockdowns in Chicago. And if you dare disobey her, keep in mind now, these aren't laws. These are her edicts. They're not laws. She's going to arrest you and take you to jail. Now, I direct the Superintendent Brown to order all police districts to give special attention to these parties. And this is how it's going to be. We will shut you down. We will cite you. And if we need to, we will arrest you and we will take you to jail. Period. Period. She and Biden love that period, don't they? Period, because I'm a tough guy. This is how it's going to be, she said. Who is she, Hitler? These people really believe they can dictate. There's no law that backed her up, but that's her dictation. I'm telling you how it's going to be. We're going to arrest you and we're going to take you to jail. Period. Period, she said. And she gave us her word. I give you my word as a Biden. Yep. She's a Biden, I guess, maybe. Because that's the standard for truth, being a Biden. So she orders everybody, don't you have any parties? Don't you have any get-togethers? You're going to jail. We will track you down. She's basically saying you're a dog. Citizens of Chicago, you're a dog, and we will track you down. And we'll arrest you, and you're going to jail, period. If you dare violate my lockdown orders. But yet, wasn't it her that, like Pelosi, defied their own lockdown orders because they're so important and went either Pelosi to the beauty shop or Beetlejuice to get her hair cut? Now, she must have gotten it cut by Stevie Wonder, but nonetheless, she got a haircut during the lockdown. Explain that, Beetlejuice. I'm the public face of the city. I'm on national media, and I'm out in the public eye. And, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a person who I take my personal hygiene very seriously. As I said, I felt like I needed to um, have a haircut. I'm not able to do that myself, and so I got a haircut. Who cut it? You don't want to promote it because they'll never have business again. Everybody will flee that place. But I'm the public face of Chicago. Let me tell you something. Have you looked in the mirror? No amount of help is going to make you look any better. You are what you are. I mean, just face facts. When I look in the mirror, I don't see Brad Pitt. If I think I do, I'm delusional. 
So if she thinks that getting a haircut improved her public face representing the city of Chicago, she's as blind as Stevie Wonder. You truly look like the big mouth bass from the Bass Pro Shops. So don't tell us about your beauty look, and that's why you had to go get your haircut and defy the orders that you placed on everybody else. That they were going to jail after being hunted down like a dog. Period. But not you. No, you're too big. You're too important. You said so. All of those words there sounded like, I'm a lot more important than you are. So deal with it, you dogs. I'll still hunt you down. But since I couldn't give myself a haircut, and by the way, you could have, it would have been just as good as the one you got. Anybody could give them a haircut that looks like hers, couldn't you? Couldn't you give yourself a haircut and look like her? Well, I'm not talking about her face. I'm talking about her hair. My dad used to give us haircuts like that when I was living at home as a child. He just cut our hair short, and that's what she did. He. Is she a he or is she a he? Or she or knit or what? We don't know. But she's got a bigger swinging D -D than anybody else in Chicago, especially you Italians over there. Wow. And after I recite the litany of her greatest hits there, the only reason she wasn't reelected is because she's a black lesbian. It had nothing to do with all of those things. Nothing at all. Now, the hope and the prayer is that that election, as I said earlier, resonates in other cities like St. Louis, right down Highway 70. Here we are. People of St. Louis, wake up. Chicago's leading the way. Let the dominoes begin to fall. St. Louis, Philadelphia, New York, Los Angeles, Detroit. All of those places destroyed by either black or uber-liberal white uh, mayors and or governors let the word go out far and wide your days are over Chicago proved that you can do it none of those other cities is more liberal than Chicago Chicago has 50 aldermen not one of them is Republican they're all Democrats every one of them so if the city of Chicago can do it why can't other cities I guess we'll see, won't we? But if I were Tashara Jones, I wouldn't be feeling too comfortable in my shoes down there. Don't let the shoes on your desk at City Hall get too comfortable. Now, she, of course, trying to save her own skin by throwing out Kim Gardner. It's not going to help you, Tashara Jones. Everybody wants Gardner gone, so you're just joining the crowd. And there are homeless people down in St. Louis. There are homeless people in San Francisco. There are homeless people in Portland, Oregon. And a San Francisco homeless person and a Portland homeless person described what a great gig it is. Homelessness is now a gig that you want. Thanks to who? Thanks to the Democrats. They give money to the homeless. Did you know that? 1400 a month in San Francisco go to the homeless. Pretty easier. I mean, if we're going to be realistic, they pay you to be homeless here. This right now is, is literally by choice. Literally by choice. Like, why would I want to pay rent? I'm not doing I got a cell phone that I have Amazon Prime and Netflix on. How's it like being homeless in Portland? 
it's a piece of cake, really. I mean, that's why you probably got so many out here because they feed you three meals a day. You don't have to do but stay in your tent or party. Or if you smoke a lot of dope, you can do that. It's like you wake up, you go eat a blanche, get high. Go eat a blanche for lunch, get high. Go eat dinner, get high. And that's all you do all day long, every day. I'm being honest. She's being honest. I'm a pothead. I'm being honest. The government's paying for it. When you listen to those two people, one in San Francisco, one in Portland, Oregon, do you think you're hearing American citizens? Or do you think that's not San Francisco, that's not Portland, that's Somalia? Kind of sounds like Somalia. Kind of sounds like a third world country, doesn't it? Or being homeless, living in a tent like the bums they are, they're perfectly happy with it because of a government that gives them money to remain homeless. Once again, it's all for public consumption. The liberals need the homeless so they can keep telling you how bad you are that we have homeless people in America, and then they try to run on that as a campaign issue. We'll help the homeless. Look at us. We're helping them. What are you doing? You're not helping them. You're giving money to a crack addict to go out and buy crack. You think I'm kidding? Ask Jared Klickstein, who was a crackhead, who was homeless. But he thinks the government subsidies make it easy. See, when you can steal food and with no consequences, there's no point in using your food stamp card to buy food. You just sell it for drug money. Well, this is the thing. When you incentivize bad behavior, which they're doing, it's just going to create more bad behavior. And I'm an ex-crackhead, and I can figure that out. So I don't understand how they can't figure it out. Are they stupid or are they kind of malicious? Is this kind of like a controlled demolition? I'm not sure, but it's going to just result in more overdoses and dead bodies. Well, th- this money, it's like we give thousand, $1,000 a month to drug addicts. That money's just going to go to the cartel. It's like we're just printing money to send to the cartel at this point. Excellent. Excellent. Didn't we used to have vagrancy laws and loitering laws? I remember them. I remember a kid as a kid being in the mall or someplace and say, "Hey, you can't loiter. You got to move on." Now we didn't even know what loiter meant, of course. Had no idea. But those existed. Why don't they exist now? Why don't rather than give them money, enforce the law and kick them off the street? guy says, why Why should I get an apartment and pay rent? Doesn't have to. There's no incentive to clean your act up. There's no incentive to get off drugs. They're giving you money to buy drugs. And you can just stay right here on the streets. You can take a dump anytime you feel like it. Again, is it Somalia or is it the United States? That's sickening stuff you just heard. But it's happening every single day. It wasn't happening like this when Donald Trump was president. Remember back on Inauguration Day 2017 when the president laid out his plans? An education system flush with cash, but which leaves our young and beautiful students deprived of all knowledge. 
and the crime and the gangs and the drugs that have stolen too many lives and robbed our country of so much unrealized potential. This American carnage stops right here and stops right now. Carpe quadruple diem, President Trump. Now, that was an uplifting message to law-abiding people. This carnage stops now. And yet the liberals in the media and the Hillary Clintons of the world talked about it being, it was such a dark speech. I got news for you. The state of this country when Donald Trump took over was in a dark place. But it wasn't a dark speech. In fact, he was giving hope. He was saying, no longer will you go into the school districts and school systems and not get an education that can help you, no matter how much money the government throws at it. It's going to change. And the drugs, that's going to change. And all of it did change. It didn't all go away, but he was on the road to making it all go away. It certainly improved dramatically in the short period he was in office. Remember when he checked off some of the things at his third State of the Union address? Three years ago, we launched the great American comeback. Tonight, I stand before you to share the incredible results. Jobs are booming. Incomes are soaring. Poverty is plummeting. Crime is falling. Confidence is surging. And our country is thriving and highly respected again. Every word was true. Today, we are not highly respected anywhere. In fact, we're mocked. We have a super clown who lives in the White House who's mocked every day internationally. His second-in-command is a laughingstock, literally. The Speaker of the House, when Pelosi was it, was robbing the whole country by holding up legislation on different companies until she and her husband could take advantage of that and break every insider trading law known to man to enrich themselves. And as she bragged yesterday, she has power. She had a lot of power as speaker. She didn't when Trump was president. So that's the state of the union today. Higher taxes, people going broke, businesses closed. Grocery prices outrageous, gasoline prices outrageous, the cost of living outrageous, inflation outrageous. And yet he wants to take more of your money that you don't already have and spend it on freeloaders to go to college. <laughs> Not only that, he's given away $115 billion of your money to Ukraine with no accounting. Were there any wars when Trump was president? Nope. Was anybody threatening a war when Trump was president? Nope. Did we hear a peep out of Russia or China when Trump was president? Nope. How about North Korea? Not after the Rocket Man speech, we didn't. How about Iran? Pretty quiet. And then he pulled us out of that deal, the Iran nuclear deal, which was a farce. And we're stuck with this mongrel who's in the White House now. This blubbering buffoon whose wife continually continually props him up 
to make more humiliation possible for him and his family. Not that I care about the Biden family, because I don't. They can all go to hell. And they will. It's one of the great criminal enterprises of all time. You thought the Clintons were bad, and they were. And they fancied themselves as intellectuals. We'll outsmart the rest of the country because we're smarter than they are. So when we steal our money, remember the Clintons went from being broke, basically, to multi-multi-millionaires overnight. How does that happen? And here come the Bidens, and they say to the Clintons, hold my beer, watch this. I'll show yous. Hey, Obama, that $15 million beachfront mansion of yours means nothing to me. I'm Joe Wuhan, Willie O'Tala Biden. I'm the originator of the shakedown move. And I also contribute $115 billion into Ukraine that will be laundered nicely, and when I get it, it will be nice and clean. Why would you think otherwise? Would anyone think otherwise? I wouldn't. Not a chance on this earth. Because it's true. And this morning, the Biden regime has approved an estimated $620 million arms sale to Taiwan. Hundreds of missiles for F-16 fighter jets. Now, what is that going to do? That's just going to piss off the Chinese. Or is he working in concert with the Chinese? You never know with this guy. So apparently, the money from China to the Bidens has perhaps stopped. That's why they had to go to Ukraine. (laughs) The Chinese foreign ministry issued a statement urging the United States to cease military contacts with Taiwan and end the arms sales. We'll see if Biden obeys his order because he takes marching orders from Beijing. We'll see if that happens. Very possibly it will happen. Very possibly. I would say more than likely he'll stop those arms sales. Unless he's trying to save face. Unless he's trying to extort more money from China than he already gets. That's always possible. Well, in tribute to Biden's open border on the southern border, Neil Diamond once welcomed people to America.
eye of the storm In the eye of the storm And the shiny place Make our bed and we'll stay our grave Freedom's like burning war Freedom's like burning war Kevin Slayton with you in the Window World Kings Court. We're glad you're along for the ride on this Thursday morning. Our phone lines open, of course, 636-538-0746, 538-0746. Our good friends at stl-cars.com have cars for you, trucks, SUVs, whatever your particular taste is, they've got them. All you have to do is visit their website, stl-cars.com. Look at all of the selections. Pick the one you want, then call them or text them. Tell them this is the one I want or say this is you don't have anything that I want, so the one I want is this, this, and this. Here's what I want. They'll then go find it for you. Tell them how much you want to pay for it. They'll pick it up, deliver it to you, or you can come and get it at their location on Manchester Road, right off Manchester. Just call or text 314-309-3633. 
3633. Ask for Don. Tell him we sent you. Do what I did because I've done that three times now. My son just did it. We are not stupid people. We don't do things that aren't good, that don't benefit us. We do things that do benefit us, and that, that's why we didn't choose option B. Option B, I gave you option A, stl-cars.com. Option B, go to several different car dealerships this Saturday on a beautiful weekend when you're off work and waste your entire day trying to negotiate with a sales manager who gets a bonus if he saves the company 15 bucks. Be my guest. Or do what I suggest, and that's call or text 314-309-3633. Ask for Don at stl-cars.com. Well, any of our topics are fair game for you, 636 538 How about this whopper of a story? Daryl Issa is Republican congressman from California, which is a rarity in itself, right? A Republican congressman from California? What? I believe Devin Nunes was from California as well. But he's called on whistleblowers to come forward now because there was a major arrest of a guy by the name of Gal Luft. He was the co-director of the Institute of the Analysis of Global Security. Now, who is he? Kevin, why is this so important? Well, he was arrested in Cyprus on an Interpol warrant, but he says he was only arrested out of political revenge because he provided the FBI with incriminating information about Joe Biden's ties to his family businesses with a Chinese energy company ahead of the 2020 election. So this guy, is his claim is, The Biden regime is punishing him by arresting him for providing that information to the FBI prior to the 2020 election. The FBI then sat on that information. But if you ask Christopher Ray about it, well, I can't talk about ongoing investigations. There is no ongoing investigation into Joe Biden. Trust me on that. It ain't happening. No matter how much they claim it is, it is not. And they hid from you the incriminating information that Luft had that his lawyer says would bury Hunter Biden and shift attention toward the president himself. Now, we don't have documentation of this yet, but it's at the very least very interesting. As Representative Issa said, one never knows where whistleblowers Concerned individuals and the critical information they provide will be found next, but we always have to be ready, especially as we uncover more and more Biden family corruption to get evidence that advances the cause of accountability and oversight. Now, we know there won't be any accountability while Biden is still in office because he controls the Department of Justice. And as we've seen, he wields quite a heavy club when it comes to ordering them around. Our research assistant accurately points out that Kevin McCarthy is also from California. So nothing's going to happen, despite McCarthy's best efforts, ICE's best efforts, Jim Jordan's best efforts, James Comer's best efforts. But what will happen is gather the evidence, put it all together in presentable form, so that when there is an attorney general who isn't hopelessly corrupt, whoever it is that succeeds this ass, Merrick Garland, They'll take all the information, ready-made, no need for investigations. They've already been done. Here are the conclusions. Here's the evidence. 
Go charge people. Prosecute them. Jail them. That's what has to happen. It's not going to happen now. Don't get your hopes up. Until Biden's out of office, it will not happen. I doubt that anything will happen to Hunter Biden before he's out of office. Merrick Garland sure is hell not going to pursue it. Christopher Ray's not. So who is? Congress. But they don't have the power to bring charges. So the House Oversight Committee, which is conducting these hearings now, is in touch with Gal Luff's attorneys. They want to hear from him. They want to know what allegations he made to the FBI and what corroborating evidence he has. Isn't it interesting that the FBI, knowing that these hearings are taking place, refuses to share this information with the House Oversight Committee? Incredible. Now, a woman by the name of Kathy Chung, a a woman that Biden threw under the bus with regard to the documents being boxed up, She's his former primary gatekeeper. She's agreed to partially comply with the House Oversight Committee's probe into the classified document scandal. But that's not nearly as big. But she's also agreed to partially comply, whatever that means, with the investigation into the Biden family's international business schemes. Her lawyer said she will hand over some requested documents and sit for an interview with the committee. Uh Uh-oh. And remember, Hunter Biden's top financial lieutenant was Eric Schwerin, president of Rosemont Seneca, the company that did all of this work for the Bidens. And he's expected to provide documents to the committee's investigation of the Biden family in general. Uh Uh-oh. Kathy Chung, Eric Schwerin, who's next? Gal Luft. There's three of them. Nicole Parker out of the FBI, 13 other whistleblowers from the FBI. These are the courageous people because if what Gal Lufts is saying is accurate, and who would doubt it, that he's been arrested only because of political revenge from the Bidens. We've got to hear from these whistleblowers and protect them. That's the only thing that matters. They need to be protected. If they're going to courageously come forward and provide the evidence that's needed to convict these criminals like Biden and his gang. We we need to protect these people. It's the only way. But again, don't get your hopes up. Nothing's going to happen for quite a while. It just isn't. And if it's Donald Trump or DeSantis... Make sure your first move as the new president is to install an attorney general that shares that same conviction. That they want to hunt them down, like Beetlejuice did, but in this case you're hunting down real criminals, and they are dogs, and put them away. And all the hunting will have been already done for you by the House Oversight Committee and others. It'll be a simple task, but nonetheless, it's going to take an attorney general with a spine to do it. And and don't give me this baloney like Jeff Sessions used to do, 
that he acts independently of the president. No, you don't. You're hired by the president. So when Merrick Garland claims that his great independence, he's just a liar. But if the president you're serving is corrupt, then it behooves you to investigate. When his son is corrupt, it behooves you to investigate or you're subject to being hauled before a court yourself and charged. Because clearly Merrick Garland is obstructing justice here. Clearly he's hiding evidence against O'Biden. The FBI is as well. We know that for a fact. That's not speculation. We know it from whistleblowers. Crazy, isn't it? We got people that are homeless all over the streets smoking their pot. We've got corrupt politicians getting away with it. We've got an electorate that's dumb as dirt. And we don't have a country anymore because we don't have any boundaries. We don't have any borders. And we don't have any leadership to protect us from anybody. Well, I shouldn't say we don't have it. It's just not in the White House. We have it. It just isn't there anymore. It's not in Congress. Let's watch and see how many times the Biden people refuse to cooperate with the House committees. Hunter Biden has met, or excuse me, has had a deadline. The deadline arrived. It has now been passed when he was required to give documents in a cooperating manner to this committee. He didn't do it. He'll now be subpoenaed. And I'm really not sure why this committee would give any time to anyone in the Biden crime family to provide anything because they won't. So don't start out by saying, okay, you have a month or two months to do this. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to subpoena this stuff right now. Not next week, not after you refuse to meet deadlines, but right now. Because we don't trust you. You've proven to be a liar. You've proven to put up these barricades between the committee and your criminal behavior. So why would we wait for you to turn anything over in a cooperating manner? Does that make any sense to anyone? That's like Mike Lee calling Merrick Garland a nice person. There's no evidence that they'll ever turn anything over. There's no evidence that Merrick Garland is a nice person. I'll continue to pound the drum. Republicans need to grow a spine. Quit being, don't defer to these people. You show them deference. They're liars, they're cheats, they're criminals. You call one of them a nice guy, the other one you give chance after chance to cooperate. Of course, they never will. And instead you delay, delay, delay. This stuff should be over with. The documents should be seized by way of subpoena. It already should have been done. Bank records, all of that should have been done. So you ask the question, why hasn't it been done? I don't know, other than the Bidens are criminals. But as far as the subpoenas are concerned, I don't know what the thinking is there. I really don't. There's no logic involved. 
if you were getting a divorce and you thought your soon-to-be ex-wife was hiding things, financial records, in order to enrich herself, would you give her a few weeks to turn them over? Or would you have your lawyer subpoena them right away? You'd subpoena them right away unless you're a stooge. We have stooges in the Republican Party. There's no question about that. I don't think anybody's ever doubted that. Good morning. You're on the Window World Kings Court. How are you? Doing great, Kevin. This is Steve Walters with SLU Hockey. How you doing, Coach? Doing great. Well, I know you've got a big game tomorrow. Uh, this is just your second year as coach of St. Louis U High, and I mentioned earlier to our listeners that you're playing for the state championship against DeSmet tomorrow night. You won the state championship last year in hockey. This is a twofer for you as the head coach. You know, you're starting to set a standard that's going to be impossible to stand up to. Yeah, I'd love to make those stats sound great, but my first year was uh, I took the team over in the uh, during COVID. So this is actually my third year. Well, we don't count the COVID um, year. But yeah, but uh, yeah, it's... Um, it, you know, SLU's been in the state championship quite, quite a lot. Um, I was part of the coaching staff for the three prior years to being the head coach, and we had won two out of three out of those. And, um, you know, you'd, you'd think that, um, you know, as you get – the more often you get there, the, the, the uh, um, pressure would be um, less. But it uh, seems to be more um, – you know, just it's just a, a difficult, difficult road to get there every year. You know. Yeah, it is difficult, especially with the kind of competition you face. Because CBC has won their share of state titles. You get to Smet in the state final this year after you beat CBC six to three in the semifinals. It seems like there's three or four teams every year that win this hockey state championship. Why is the competition level such a dramatic drop off after you guys? Well, there's, uh, you know, our schools, you know, we can draw from the entire hockey community because uh, and we don't have any geographic um, limitations. And um, so quite a few hockey players, um, families choose to send their kids to parochial schools. And um, so we are a beneficiary of that. And then um, and then when you look at um the the clubs that have had a lot of success there's also um, strong cultures there from coaching and um, history to where um, similar to what you know professional sporting clubs we know there's a culture with the St. Louis Cardinals and um, so there's a there's a winning culture with a few of these teams that um, you can draw on on a on a, a daily weekly monthly basis to drill into the players that um, you're not just playing for yourself. You're playing for your team currently and for all the guys that preceded you. Coach, uh, as you know, or may not know, but now you know, I'm a CBC grad, so I'm none too happy with the way you dispatched my school in the semifinals. But the kind of guy <laughs> I am, here I am having you come on and talk about your team. But <laughs> what, what kind of problems does DeSmet present to you that maybe CBC didn't? Well, first I can a- handle your comment about CBC. Uh, I think it's pretty well known in the hockey community. I'm close friends with uh, John Jost, um, the head coach of CBC. And in fact, he, my, one of my assistants, uh, Pat Sorrentino and I work out every Saturday together. 
and uh, we have a really good relationship of not talking about high school hockey very much, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> good so, idea. Uh, but uh, now I, I, I detracted. What was the question you had? Uh, I was about wondering what game coming up. What problems do does DeSmet pose to you that CBC may not have? Well, it's you know you've got interesting matchup differences, um, and you've seen it in multiple sports where you um, you you can succeed in one way or have trouble in one way with one team, and then you play another team, and their style kind of. Um, throws a curveball at you and um, we we you know I mean everyone knows it we we've played this met three times this year and and came up on the losing side all three times and um, so the challenge we have is to you know play with within ourselves um, and uh, you know we're we're you know we've moved on all season long where we don't look behind um, we don't look into the past we don't look beyond the next game, and um, a lot of times that can can be a words from a coach, but not in practice from the team. But this team really does understand that, and I think it was the adversity um, that we felt like we were experiencing early in the season. Um, we weren't we weren't playing the way we thought we could, and the team finally figured that out. And so our challenge against Desmet right now is. Um, really to make sure we play our style of game. We don't have to change and adapt to what DeSmet does. We just uh, need to know that we've got to go out and, and, and do the things that we do best, and that's play as an entire team and play all 20 players instead of cutting the bench down and playing, you know, three-quarters of your team. I'm sure that you had that same philosophy in the three games that you lost to them. Where does it go awry during the course of the game? Do do players panic? Do they think they have to do too much rather than just let the game come to them? Yeah, that's uh, the 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 a players do too much thing is um, you know a, a, a challenge with any team, and um, uh, so when any team ever falls behind, as a coach, you have to remind them that you know you can't do it all in one shift. Um, but that takes a lot of experience and you realize that, uh, you know, when these kids turn 16, 17, 18, they're really um, hitting a maturity level in, in the sport they're playing. And it, it, it really, it, it, that maturity level doesn't really cap out until they're in their twenties. So your hardest challenge is to really convince these kids, you can't do it all on your own. And you see it time and time again where you, a really good team is down um, late in the game by two goals. The next thing you know, you see individuals trying to go end-to-end instead of using their teammates. And um, sometimes you can solve it as a coach, and sometimes it just, um, it, it, you know, you can't get certain kids to buy in. But um, our culture at SLU is, um, is we've been preparing the kids all year long um, that – you know, you're going to have highs and lows during a game. And it's, it's really, you know, controlling those highs and lows. We don't want to be too high. We don't want to be too low during a game. And if you do that, then you'll find yourself doing the right thing. Coach Steve Walters is with us, the head coach of the St. Louis U High hockey team, playing for the state championship tomorrow night against a Do you expect a full house, Coach? 
Yeah, well, it's already a full house. Uh, that uh, the since we're doing having the game at Centene, there's a finite number of tickets, and it's three thousand. And so each of the schools were allotted twelve hundred tickets, and those are both already sold out. So there's six hundred tickets um, that are going to be available. Um, I'll do a little plug for the game here. Uh, Mid States, um, who runs our league. Um, we'll have 600 tickets available um, at 4:45 tomorrow at Centene for the general public to capture, grab the last 600 seats. So this is going to be a great atmosphere. Uh, high school kids, being what they are, uh, the, the adrenaline starts to flow. You've got this huge crowd. You know what's at stake. How do you prepare as a coach prior to the game so that they're not too high? There's a fine balance, I would imagine. There really is a fine balance, and you, you, you know, um, I can share a quick um, story from last year. Is we, you know, we played um, in the semis, and it was uh, the crowd was huge, and we we actually played the second game in the second day of the semis, and we had watched a, a team. Sorry, but that was CVC get eliminated in a shootout <laughs> by Desmet, and. You know, the game had gone late, and I'm just standing outside the locker room, and our captain comes out, and he goes, uh, Coach, can you come in the locker room? Uh, I, I think we're a little tense. And that was a good wake-up call that, you know, what I what our job as, as coaches here is, you know, t- to remind these kids, you know what, this is what you've been playing for your whole life. I mean, there's games like this. And if you don't take time before the game and during the game um, to to enjoy it and to just be all in it. Don't have any regrets. Do everything you can. Nerves are good. We all know that nerves make us all better in every aspect of what we do in life. Um, but um, if you if you give it a perspective before the game and the week leading up to the game, hey, this is awesome. We're in the final game. Enjoy it. Um, uh, it 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 puts a good spin on it, and it helps you put your be dialed in on um, the right approach for the game. By the way, what a great move by your team captain. It shows leadership that he had the wherewithal to understand the mood of his team and look to you for some help. Um, definitely. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, he's and, – and what are you referring to? I'm sorry. The captain who came out and told you the team was tense before the game last year. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was interesting because he, he was usually uh, – so calm and that was one of the parts of him being a leader on the team and yeah when he came out and it was just kind of a smile um and by the way that guy ended up being the mvp of the game um in the championship game and actually and then it was the mvp in the rugby championship game that year too so he's he was a great leader and to see his face like that um you know it's just it's moments like those players coming to you and and uh, and speaking to you and asking you to come in and 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 uh, work with the team and you know, that happens all year long where the you, an individual player come up and ask for something or give you their perspective on something um, reminds you why you're coaching because it's uh, it's fun coaching these young growing individuals and. Um, they look to us for for guidance and leadership, and then if we give them the tools to 
go back in a locker room and lead themselves. It's uh, it's rewarding as a coach, and it's really fun for the kids to, grow, to watch them grow. Coach Steve Walters is our guest. He leads St. Louis U High's hockey team into the state championship game tomorrow night against DeSmet. Coach, you mentioned they've beaten you three times during the regular season. How do you get your kids mentally to get over that mountain that you can actually beat these guys? Well, and I kind of referred to it um, before. We don't look um, in the past. Uh, uh, what we've done is learned from our mistakes. And the, the adversity that we experienced during the year, which – um, I have to be careful with adversity in saying that because we had a great record. And But um, when our standards are so high, when you come out of a game and, you know, you've outshot the opponent, you know, two to one, and you end up with a tie, um, you, know, you know, you don't look at the score. You look at why was the score that way. And it usually would zero back to too many um, instances where we had individual play instead of team play. And uh, so when we look, that's we're done looking back after that game, and then we work on it the next game. So if they k- keep doing it, um, you know, it becomes a problem. Well, we had about three weeks of the season um, that hovered around those games with the SMET that um, we kept doing inconsistent um, things in games that were causing big problems for us. And um, it took that adversity for the team to just, you know, they're hard-headed teenagers, right, for them to finally go, oh, maybe the coaches <laughs> are seeing something. <laughs> hey, and well, here, Here's a, and here's we, a suggestion in the, locker, in the locker room tomorrow, and I take a page out of Herb Brooks's book with the Olympic team in 1980 when he said, you know, we we play these this Russian team. We if we play them ten times, they might win nine, but not tonight. Yes, there's a there's a funny story, a uh, slew story on that one. When my oldest or both my boys were on the uh, 2013 team, uh, uh, Coach Fitzpatrick came in and started quoting Herb Brooks from The Miracle. Uh huh. And the entire team started laughing and cut him off and said, Coach, that's Herb Brooks's speech. <laughs> and the whole <laughs> – and but the thing is, they all talk about it still to this day. That was like – that took the edge off. Slew had never won a championship prior to that. And that took the edge off, and the kids went out there, and uh, um, that was uh, – we ended up winning that game in overtime. I know you've got a goalie that, from my uh, scouts, tell me has NHL potential by the name of Max Belly. Yeah, it's um, he was a uh, he was a sleeper last year. When I say sleeper, the community hockey community hadn't really um, um, embraced or talked about his skill level. Everybody knew he was good, but he was never given really the the opportunity and. And on top of that, I think he, he, he matured a lot last year as a junior. Um, so he had a, a great season with us and caught, you know, he, was on, he caught everybody's attention because he was on the right venue. He was in the state championship. He was a, he was a transfer um, from, he was at a school, Parkway Central, that doesn't have a team. So then he pool played for Ledoux and his sophomore year won the Wickenheiser Cup with them. And then he transferred into SLU, um, um, and it was it was kind of a catalyst from his his. He's got a younger brother that was a fresh that 
was coming in as a freshman. And uh, so he's in the venue. He's won the Wickenheiser Cup as a sophomore and then catches everybody's attention all year long playing like he does. And um, it was exciting this summer. I got the phone calls from the the AAA coaches um, during tryouts asking me about his uh, this is a good, le- if kids are going to be listening to this, uh, or parents that, um, to, uh, you know, have kids in sports, they did not ask me about how he was technically and how he played hockey. Uh, they saw that they know it, What they asked me is what his character was. And that was a easy answer for me because he is as solid of a character player as you would ever want on a team. Um, and, uh, the kids love playing in front of him and want to battle for him because they know he, he is going to give you everything he's got. And not only that, he's going to be a t- good teammate. So he isn't, you know, he's just a, he's an ideal hockey player. And you couple that with good talent, then um, coaches are going to take more risks on him. And that's going to be, to answer your question about NHL um possibilities he's just got nothing but upside given the right opportunities and um, hopefully he gets lucky enough to have coaches that can embrace a good character player and make them better all right coach well we're going to talk with one of your players here in a moment uh, uh, Ty uh, Woodcock and uh, I know that he's uh, got some great uh, bloodlines through hockey to his grandfather who was the Blues trainer for so long so we wish you the best uh, tomorrow night and uh, hope the St. Louis I can bring home a winner Thank you very much, and thank you for giving us the opportunity to speak with you. You bet, Coach. Thank you. Thank you. Coach Steve Walters visiting with us tomorrow night. St. Louis U High will play for their second consecutive state championship. They've done a lot of winning lately, as you could hear, uh, and CBC has been on the receiving end of some of that as a loser. <laughs> That's not good. All right. Good morning, Ty. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Now, I, I know you're still in high school, so I don't expect you to recite the Constitution, but uh, but I do know that you go to St. Louis U High, so you might be able to. Um, but you've got a hockey game tomorrow night, and we just got finished talking with your coach, and I, I know that a state championship game raises the ante for all the kids playing. How is the mood of the team as you gauge it today a little more than 48 hours away? Oh, wow. Everyone – as the saying goes, the boys are buzzing. It's all great. It's just the mood is great. We're having fun at practice. We had our last one of the year yesterday. It was great, great practice. Everyone was on the ice 30 minutes before the practice even started. Everyone's pumped. Tyler Woodcock is our guest. That is spectacular to hear. There is no greater uh, feeling, I would imagine, than playing for a state championship. I never got a chance to do it, but this is your second straight attempt. You won it last year. What is the motivation for guys to want to come back and do it again? I mean, the, the mountain's hard to climb. You get there, and you didn't slack off. It's it's the most fun thing you can do in all of high school, in my opinion. Competing for a state championship, especially one as the Challenge Cup hockey, it's super competitive in St. Louis. And really, it's just an incredible honor to be able to compete for it for a second time. And you are a, a senior, so this is your swan song. How important is it for the seniors, and will the seniors talk to the rest of the team prior to the game? Oh, yeah. Well, the seniors have been leaders all year with our, our captain, Luke Gunn. We've all been very vocal, getting the underclassmen 
and shape when we weren't in the beginning of the season. So the seniors have been a vocal point of the team. And this is our last hurrah. So we're going to give it everything we got. And this is your fourth year on the varsity hockey team. I know that originally you played on defense and uh, now you're not. But uh, what, what was the transition for you playing from defense to offense? Well, as a defenseman, I was always very offensive minded, like my father. Um, <laughs> and so it was pretty easy for me to transfer over to offense because I was always looking to score in the first place. I just basically had to learn the positioning on the winger and getting the puck out of the zone. That was the biggest struggle for me. But after I got that down, uh, it was a pretty smooth transition to forward. And when you mention your father, that's Tommy Woodcock, and your grandfather's the legendary trainer, Tommy Woodcock, for the Blues. So you've got some bloodlines going your way. You're kind of like the the, uh, the offspring of Secretariat. You, you've got some real good bloodlines here. Yeah, <laughs> one one could say that. I've, I've got some good bloodlines. Lucky, lucky family, I guess. But here you are, a hockey family, and from my understanding – you're one hell of a catcher in baseball, and you've, uh, you're going to go play at Rockhurst as a scholarship athlete. Uh, yes. You know, I wanted to make the Woodcocks more than just a one sport, a one-trick pony. So I'm going to take my talents to Rockhurst, and I'm so excited for that. It's going to be so pumped. It's a great institution, and I just, I'm just i honored to be able to continue my athletic career in baseball. Well, congratulations on that, first of all. But try to explain to us, the difference between a hockey mentality and a baseball mentality, because one is a very physical game. The other isn't so much, although the catcher position is. Yes. The big difference is hockey. You have zero time to think and baseball, especially a catcher. You have all the time in the world to think that's all you're doing. You're thinking about what the batter struggles with, what pitch he's not ready for his tendencies. And then hockey, you're just, Skate as hard as you can, get the puck, score a goal. That's <laughs> so it's a lot. It's a lot of I want to do it in hockey. It's a lot of how are we going to do it in baseball. Yep. Tyler Woodcock is our guest. The St. Louis U High Junior Billikens play against DeSmet for the state championship game tomorrow night at Centene. You're a fourth year starter on the St. Louis U High team, Tyler. And as you look at this, uh, the mood of the school today and tomorrow. I remember big games when I was at CBC. Sorry to bring that up. Uh, but I'm actually – you're not very sorry since you beat us 6-3. to three in It's okay. The we all make mistakes. It's okay. <laughs> and and uh, I remember the school on big game days, not just the team, but the entire school was into it. We'd have pep rallies. Do those things still go on today? Oh, yeah. We're, we're on mission week right now, so we're doing our mission for the Covenant House. But almost all the themes have been slew hockey themes and the basketball team. The crowds that we've had at the games recently, those are the biggest crowds I've ever seen in a high school sport. The support is enormous, and we love our fans, and we're so grateful to have them there cheering for us in school and on the ice. What kind of advice does your dad give you, and do you ignore it? Well, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't tell him that I ignore his advice, <laughs> but uh, he tells me basically, hard on the form check, you know, basically – what every hockey player says in their interviews after the game. That's what he tells me on text. So <laughs> it's not, it's not something you haven't heard before. Yeah. It's, it's nothing new. It's just, he's giving me the same old, same old, just so I, it's like, it's no different game, just a regular game. Just get the job done. 
You know, your coach was telling us uh, that DeSmet has had the better of you three times this year, and I asked him, how in the world do you get the team to believe that you can actually overcome that hurdle? How do you guys approach it as players? They played us in the beginning of the year. We were not a team in the beginning of the year. We were a bunch of individuals trying to score pretty goals for our fans. Now we're a team. We're a unit. They haven't seen the real slew, and they're about to in the state championship. I love that attitude. You're getting me fired up now. You could be the coach. <laughs> well, I do coach Kirkwood uh, Youth Hockey Program. They've got a state championship right after Friday. Oh, that's fantastic. So you're involved in it at all levels. Yeah, I just love hockey. That's fantastic. Hey, listen, we're running out of time, but uh, I can't tell you how impressive I, how impressive you are as a student and as a, as, a, as a young man in discussing all of this. Very rarely do you get kids who can speak about these issues like you have done. And I'm very impressed, and I know your dad is too. And if your grandpa were sitting here today, he'd be proud as hell, wouldn't he? Yeah, he would. Uh, I wish I could have more interaction with him, but um, now I'm just going to carry on the Woodcock name. Well, you're doing a great job, and you'll also carry it on in baseball. Good luck tomorrow night. I hope you guys bring home your second straight state championship. I hope we do too. Thank you very much. Thanks, Tyler. That's Tyler Woodcock. He plays for St. Louis U High's hockey team. You heard their coach, Steve Walters. Can he get more impressive than that kid? That'd be kind of hard to do, wouldn't it? I'm telling you, these schools, they churn out good people, good kids. It's just the bad ones we always hear about, and it's these indoctrination centers known as the public schools who ruin the country. But it's not the private schools. All right, we're done for today. And we ended it on a high note. That was fun. That was a lot of fun talking with Coach Walt, Walters and uh, Tyler Woodcock. Be fun if you can get a, one of the 600 tickets tomorrow. You'll be treated to some great hockey. High school hockey at that level is tremendous. All right, back fighting the good fight for you tomorrow morning right here in the Window World Kings Court on KevinSlaytonShow.com. Love you, Mom. Love you, Dad. Love you, Maureen. So long, everybody. Ah!